Hey, and welcome back to the history of China. Remember, go check out the website, follow me on the socials, and yes, links are on the website for those. And as always, be sure to rate the show five stars and give me a follow. It really might not seem like a lot to you, but as you've heard by now, it really does mean a lot to me. Anyway, this episode is about to be a doozy. On our last episode, or should I say, on our last episode that was on the regular timeline, we set up the Han Dynasty to, well, fail. Like the Bears' head office giving us the coaching and offensive scheme prowess of a middle school JV team, well, we're just set up horribly. We're not going to be set up for success. The Han Dynasty had a government structure here that was rapidly deteriorating. Nepotism and corruption were continuously weakening the foundation of the Western Han Dynasty, and on top of that, we had succession issues. These are two huge problems. And a government that wouldn't stand a breath of wind paired with legitimacy issues? Look, what could go wrong? Sarcasm, obviously, because everything could and everything would go wrong. So, we are here with Emperor Ai. AI, and he won't be the last emperor of the Western Han, but he might as well have been. So, without further ado, The History of China, Episode 44, The End of the Western Han Dynasty. The writing was not entirely on the wall for those living at the time. In fact, on the outset, Emperor Ai actually gave some people hope. It had been sort of a crapshoot there for the last decade or so, and, it, and in him there was a breath of fresh air. He was viewed as being capable, and honestly for good reason. Because from all reports he was smart, well-spoken, and had many features that would bode well for his new role as emperor. At only the age of 20, at the time of his ascension in 7 BC, he immediately showed promise beyond just those promising character traits. Yeah, he had good things on paper, but he quickly ended Emperor Cheng's practice of delegating imperial authorities to his uncles and cousins of the Wang clan, and he appeared diligent and caring of his role as emperor. Yeah, he had all the good traits, and he was seemingly acting upon them. What more could you want? And as with every quote-unquote Good start, according to the histories of the era, he of course reduced spending greatly. You can't be great and have a good start unless you cut the spending, and that's the way the Chinese historians have it written. This is perfect, though. He was making decisions quickly and emphatically, something the indecisive and advisor-dependent Emperor Yen would not do, and he stopped the family favoritism and the abhorrent spending of Emperor Cheng. Emperor Ai was the golden boy right out the gates. Boom. So we're set, right? It's all good? Sadly, no. And if my foreshadowing hasn't been obvious enough, it was not at all good. Because Emperor Ai had somewhat of a classic problem. An Empress Dowager and Grand Empress Dowager and Empress problem. I'm going to sort of speed through this drama here 
for the sake of time and our main narrative here, and because it is legitimately confusing. I had to read this over several times to just figure out who was where and claiming what and when and doing what. It's a mess. Look, and I know I keep saying I'll speed through things and then spend 10 to 15 minutes on something, but trust me, I am speeding through these things. There is a lot more detail there that is unnecessary and can sometimes get us bogged down and confused. In essence, though, this stems from our second problem for the Han Dynasty, legitimacy. Emperor Ai wasn't even in the true family tree, so the systems of Empress Dowager and Grand Empress Dowager made no sense anymore. Emperor Ai may be emperor, but is his grandmother now the Grand Empress Dowager? even though she had never been empress or empress dowager herself? Does she get to do that? Technically, no. Because she was totally new to the imperial throne by proxy of her son. She was, well, not grand empress dowager, and instead just the emperor's grandma. Which means nothing. Not to mention legitimacy was questionable for Emperor Ai's predecessor, so now you have a lot of people a lot of moms, grandmas, ex-empresses, empresses, you name it, fighting over the same rights and titles. It would have been a lot easier if they were all direct descendants of the past emperors. Then Grand Empress Dowager, Empress Dowager, and Empress would all be in a beautiful, clean, linear line. But they're not. Even though there was politicking, Emperor I, long story short, became highly influenced by his grandmother, Consort Fu. For context, she was the consort, not wife, and certainly never empress, for his grandfather and his predecessor's father, Emperor Yuan. But she wasn't the only person there, though, as I mentioned. She sort of pushed through the unprecedented move of getting herself the title of Grand Empress Dowager even though she was never an empress, let alone an empress dowager. Hmm, you can see where this began to get confusing, right? The rule is simple. If you weren't empress at all, congrats. You will never be empress dowager, and thus you'll certainly never be grand empress dowager. Yet, here she was. And this whole thing led to the most absurd and once-in-a-dynasty situation really ever. It was an unprecedented and unrepeated situation because you had four different women possessing Empress Dowager titles at the same time. Yeah, that's not supposed to happen. And the four were, for context... Empress Wang, who was Emperor Cheng's mother and the wife of Emperor Yuan. You had Empress Zhao Feiyan, who was Emperor Cheng's wife. You had Consort Fu, who was, as we know, the grandmother of Emperor Ai. And you had Consort Ding, Emperor Ai's mother. This goes as great as you think it would. It led to more distracting and bitter infighting, a complete backtrack from Emperor Ai's promising start. You just can't seem to win one these days in the Han Dynasty. But what really plagued Emperor Ai's administration was the general situation where you had legitimately good proposals would be made to him, and he would approve them personally, 
But then that was it. He would take no action. This was the same problem that Emperor Chung's government had. And on top of that, and more relating to this weird emperor situation, Emperor Ai was harsh. If you had an issue with his grandmother and mother's new titles that were completely illegitimate, he would, well, punish you severely. And yeah, sometimes he saw the light and decided to not punish them. But then it made him just look indecisive. Were you going to be a bloodthirsty tyrant on people who sort of questioned your mom and grandma's absurd titles? Or were you soft-handed about it? It was unclear. And then to the point where he would actually promote people that weren't last name Wong... Yeah, he would promote people that he saw as capable and honest, which is great. You have a meritocracy, and that seems to be a good, you know, correlating factor into the success of of an administration. But then as soon as he got offended in any way, he would demote them. If you were honest with Emperor Ai in any way, and you offended him by that, well, you're gone. Not killed, but demoted. And this is, well, just a temper problem. And about three years into his reign, we would have another interesting story develop in the reign of Emperor Ai. Around 4 BC, Emperor Ai began to favor the minor official Dong Qian. And historians largely have agreed that these two men had a homosexual relationship. Now, yes, both men were married, but that would not have been seen as conflicting with a homosexual love affair. And this brings up the tangent that Josh from California emailed me about. Sexuality. Josh essentially had remarked that with all these polygamous emperors, surely one of them at some point fell into a camp that we today would consider bisexual or outright homosexual. And to answer the question, the answer is yes. Emperors before Emperor I did have males put down in their lists of lovers. But what's different here is that this particular relationship, for whatever reason, really held sway with the ancient Han historians, and this is probably because having a lover is one thing, but having a partner is another. Because Emperor Ai quickly became enamored with Dong, and began promoting and rewarding him, and he went even so far as to have a palace built for him. This wasn't just an affair in a back room for your own enjoyment in your polygamous life. This was something more. Was this bit much in terms of favoritism? Of course it was. But if you question this to Emperor Ai, yeah, you got punished harshly too, just as if you questioned the Grand Empress Dowager situation. In 3 BC, Emperor Ai went so far as to create Dongxian, the Marquess of Gao'an. And yeah, the Marquis position, if you haven't realized by now, is being thrown around a lot. It's a big reward, but it seems to now just be doled out to pretty much anyone the emperor wants. And that's another problem with the Western Han dynasty right now. You're not getting the best people right now. The following year, a prime minister, a government official for the Han dynasty, told Emperor Ai, look, you have to stop bestowing all these honors on Dongxian. But the report was worded very well. It wasn't saying, oh my god, I can't believe you're doing this, I'm jealous. Instead, it took a different tone. The official essentially warned that 
Dongxian would probably suffer the same fate as other favorites of emperors. Emperor Wen had Deng, D-E-N-G, who starved to death after all of his assets were confiscated by Emperor Wen's heir, or of Emperor Wu's favorite, Han Yan, who was executed by the Empress Dowager after being accused of improperly assuming well, imperial style. Essentially, you could keep rewarding him, that's fine, but Emperor Ai, if you die before Dong Xian, he will most likely have it all brutally taken away from him. This will happen anyway, regardless of how many titles you give him now. And Emperor Ai took that advice. No, I'm just kidding. No, he didn't. Because in 2 BC, Dong was made the commander of the armed forces at age 22, and effectively was made the most powerful official in the entire administration. He is a palace, and he is the most powerful official now. Talk about favoritism. And I know I feel like I'm going to be just interjecting this in here, but this is how it went, because as soon as he came, he was gone. Who do I mean? Dong Xian? Well, yeah, everything the official warned would happen did, because in 1 BC, Emperor Ai just straight up dies. Boom. Just like that. What well, was he murdered? What happened? Well, look, at some point in 1 BC, Emperor Ai got sick. And this is something that actually wasn't that new. It wasn't that surprising. He had several bouts with many different illnesses, and that might have been why he had a bad temper. But this one in particular, in 1 BC, would not get better. It got worse and worse over time. Though a sickness, as opposed to a stabbing, for example, allowed him to see the writing on the wall and realized he had to quickly get things in order because he didn't have an heir. Oh my, it's happening again. And who do you think he proclaimed his successor to be? Dong Xian, his presumed lover and partner. And right about here is where the Han Dynasty begins to burn up. Quickly. I know, I know. I'm a perpetual offender of the, quote, just wait, it's about to happen, end quote, jumping of the gun. But really, this was it. The moment Emperor I actually, as Freddie Mercury says, bites the dust, the actual literal Grand Empress Dowager swipes the Imperial Seal, thus with it all the power of the Emperor, and gave it to Wang Mang, who then turned around and made the now late Emperor Ai's cousin, Prince Ji Zi, as Emperor Ping. Yeah, I know, that's a lot really fast. And Dong Xian, who was proclaimed to be the next emperor, and his wife, as was predicted years before, would indeed be stripped of everything Emperor Ai ever gave him. Every action has an opposite and equal reaction. And soon after... Dong Xian and his wife would kill themselves. And there's one caveat here to this rocky transition. That Wang Mang character I just told you about, who was essentially playing Emperor Maker, well, Wang Mang isn't Huo Guang. Wang Mang wasn't installing the emperor best for the state, or even a friendly emperor who would help him out a little bit. No. Because Emperor Ping was, and would always be, a mere puppet. 
And Emperor Ping would indeed be the last emperor of the Western Han Dynasty. Now look, I started really emphasizing Western Han and not just Han Dynasty, and there's a reason for that. Like other dynasties in the past, some that last a while are broken into different, almost chapters, split up by large events. Could be a civil war, an upheaval of the government, etc. Point is, we are at one of those epoch-shifting moments. But to truly understand the epoch shift, who in the world is Wang Mang? Wang Mang, as you Hawkeye listeners may have stipulated, was yes, one of the many Wangs thrown into positions of power by Emperor Chung. I told you, it would all come full circle. And he was actually made head of the military, which as we just heard, was the highest office really in the whole Han government. I may have said Wang Mang was not Huoguang because he wasn't as virtuous and amazing, but he was not necessarily an incompetent or bad person. The histories describe Wang Mang as actually being shockingly self-disciplined and very keen on the promotion of capable individuals over anything else. And this wasn't just some weird one-off thing. His behavior and conduct was rock solid and so rock solid, in fact, that it actually cast a more positive light on the rest of his clan, which as we know from the last few episodes, well, they weren't always viewed that well. So by some semi-complicated connection, Wang Mang was Emperor Ai's uncle. And during Emperor Ai's reign, he was not the head of the military, because he had spats with the whole Empress and Grand Empress Dowager fiasco, he got caught up in it, resigned, and did the right thing and kept a low profile. And now we're up to speed, and Wang Mang was going to return the government to an older day. That was his goal. But this wasn't returning it to a government system reminiscent of Emperor Wu or any of the greats of the Han Dynasty. No, because Wang Mang wanted to take the Han Dynasty back to the Zhou Dynasty. And with his hand working the puppet Emperor Ping, what was stopping him? Well, other court people, but don't worry, Wang Mang had that all planned out. I told you, the pieces were falling into place, and now the kindling, doused in kerosene, has finally got its spark. This will get weird. Emperor Ping won't be here a long time. But it will be quite the time. Things hit the fan. Things are about to get weird here. And I've already sort of mentioned that this is the end of the Western Han. So, essentially, let's get the basics down before we really dive in to what transitions the Western Han into the Eastern Han. Wang Mang immediately was working Emperor Ping, like a puppet, really. It's a great example. Because he wanted it to be like the Zhou Dynasty. And there's even facets of it that match the Xia and Shang Dynasty. And as we know, the Xia Dynasty might not have even existed. And the way he did this was simple. He wasn't working in the shadows, having Emperor Ping be fully his mouthpiece. Emperor Ping was more of his rubber stamp. 
What do I mean? Well, Emperor Wang began to build up a cult of personality. He wanted himself to be viewed almost as highly as the emperor. And in particular, he actually wanted to be viewed as the Duke of Zhou. Into the common era we go, and yeah, we are now in 1 CE, he was created the Duke of An Han, which literally translates to the Duke who made Han secure. Like, he's not pretending that he's a regent. He's fully saying, I am the guy who's made the Han dynasty secure. For context on why this is pretty impressive, if you're saying to yourself, Eric, I haven't heard of a single person being made Duke in the Han dynasty. Well, you're right. There hadn't been. He was the first person created as Duke in the Han dynasty up until this point. It's quite something. He is really going for broke here. And what he did was also pretty simple. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, the titles of Marquess were sort of just thrown around there by the end. People were made that as a sign of goodwill. They were made that because, well, they wanted to make their favorite people happy. But Emperor Wang Mong wanted to take us back. And back to the Zhou dynasty, he would. Because he instituted a program to essentially bring those titles back to the descendants of the old imperial princes and the old marquises. Which is, well, yeah, a big deal. And another thing he did was, well, he would bribe vassal states and would make them offer up rare animals, which were viewed as signs of heavenly blessings. Look, he's making himself out here almost like as a cult leader. It is a little weird. And he began to make people praise him. Not Emperor Ping. Not anyone else but himself. And another thing he did was not only make Emperor Ping his puppet, but he also made Grant the new, well, Grand Empress Dowager Wang also a puppet because she also had a lot of authority. So he effectively became the most powerful person in the entire empire. The whole dynasty was really under his control. And you might be saying, okay, well, what about Emperor Ping's family? What about other people that were in the court? He got in the way of all that. He planned for it. He got Emperor Ping's uncles into positions that essentially locked them in and made them not powerful. And he ordered really their entire clan not be allowed to come to the capital to see the emperor. They were to remain in their little area in Zhongshan. Whoa. Yeah, it's getting weird. And in 2 CE, Emperor Wang Mang did probably the smartest thing he did. He had his own daughter married to Emperor Ping. Boom. That right there is pretty much one of the final nails in the coffin. Because what he was able to do by doing that is to put himself in a more legitimate position, tie himself even tighter to Emperor Ping, and yeah, geez, you can put the rest together. But obviously, all of this is going to make a lot of people very angry. He's clearly making himself out to be someone really powerful. He's tied himself to the emperor in more than one way. 
He's essentially taken over all the powers of Grand Empress Dowager. He has a cult of personality around himself, and he's tied to him now by essentially getting his daughter to be the Empress. Not everyone is going to sit back and take this lightly. And that is where I will really leave it for this week. Because there's going to be a lot here to dissect, and it's going to all kick off, and I'm looking at the time now, and we're not going to be able to really dive into it in an appropriate amount of time to make it worth it. Emperor Ping might be the last emperor by name of the Western Han Dynasty, but really, it was Emperor Ai. Wang Mong's about to be hit with a lot of conspiracies, and he's more or less going to make it through it. Or will he? I guess we'll just have to listen and find out. The Western Han is over, and so is this episode. Look, as always, be sure to check out the website, rate it five stars, send me emails, you know what to do. And really, as always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you all next time on the History of China. China.